Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. From Postcard from the Past and Wardle Studios, this is podcast from the past, the Postcard Podcast. This is the podcast where we still get excited at the flap of the letterbox and display our correspondence on the mantelpiece with a kind of fascination and pride as we attempt to understand the memories, meanings and stories held by picture postcards. I'm Tom Jackson and today I'm delighted to say that my guests are two writers, both award-winning writers in fact, um, Claire Mully and Sarah Hillary. Sarah and Claire, hello and welcome. Hello, thank you for having us. Uh, Now, Claire Mully is a historian, or a biographical historian, uh, more precisely, uh, a particular interest in women's stories that might have been forgotten or never brought to light or were too secret to tell. Mm. The Woman Who Saved Children is a biography of controversial Save the Children founder Eglantine Jebb. The Spy Who Loved... Uh, tells the extraordinary story of Christina Scarbeck, who became the first woman to work for Britain as a special agent during the Second World War. And her latest book, The Women Who Flew for Hitler, looks at Nazi Germany's only two female test pilots, Hannah Reich and Melitta von Stauffenberg. And Claire comes to us today with a very blurred and hard-to-read postmark. Yeah, blurring. Why so hard to read? You can't meet me. Yes, blurring because I'm moving all the time. No, I I suppose I would probably consider myself a Londoner Londoner as much as anything, but uh, I have lived all over the place. So Sheffield and Indonesia, Jakarta and... Poland and Greece, so yes. And is that because your work was taking you there or or, or does your work reflect your time in these various places? It's a bit of both, but I chose my work because I like to travel and move and see things, but I've been hunkered down in Essex for a while now. Okay, well, we'll consider that to be uh, written on you somehow. Now, Claire, do you still send postcards? I do. I do like writing. I suppose we're both writers, aren't we? And there's always that thing you get asked these days, do you read on a Kindle or do you like to hold a physical book? It's the physical versus the... And in some ways, I always think that I like to... It seems more direct to type into a computer and for it to come out into someone else's brain. You know, why do we go through this intermediary? Having said that, of course, I love the physical book. You know, I love I love bodies as well as minds. I like to hold something. So, uh, yes, I send, on I send letters and postcards still. So, and is it that sense? I was just I think when you have to write something physically, there is a, a bit more thought required because you don't get to cut and paste, you don't get to delete, you have to just plough through it. Oh, that's right. And also, 
I suppose as as historian, I mean, you may find this as well. When you hold a physical thing, you you read the content and you get the words and the meaning. But often it's how that how hard was that pen pressed on the paper? What kind of ink were they using? Does C really write with green ink? All of those things that tell us something more. The meta text of it, I suppose. So yes, I'm very that good. Stuff. Yes, that, I should use that phrase more often. The meta text because <laughs> I think that's that is very often what we're actually dealing with. Now, uh, Sarah Hillary's books have been described as dark and thrilling, deft and disturbing, and truly chilling. Um, But I don't feel too unsafe in in the booth today. Uh, Her heroine, Marnie Rome, is a single-minded, complicated, brilliant detective who has an unfortunate knack of stumbling into some of the nastiest, most troubling crimes. And we have to read them to find out how she deals with it. And Sarah comes to us today with a SK9 postmark? Yes, uh, the North. The North. Stockport-ish, <laughs> yes, Man- Manchester. So that's, is that where you, where you grew up? Um, yes, I did. Yes, so Manchester was my big city when I was growing up. And um, uh, I still consider myself a northerner, I feel. But I've um, lived via London and now I'm now in the southwest in Bath. So oh, very nice. Still go home to the North all the time. And when did you last send a postcard? When did I last? And to myself from, well, to, to myself and my son when we were travelling to um, America, I think, last year. We got into the habit of um, sending postcards to ourselves when we were away because we've only just recently discovered travelling. Um, and it's such a nice thing to get about a week after you've got home and you're in a bit of a slump. And there's a postcard reminding you of the brilliant time you were having two weeks ago. So it was a kind of broken up diary. You were yes, a bit, a bit I at the time. So. Yes. I do see quite a lot of cards like that when I'm going through big boxes of cards, which I spend too much time doing, where people have not sent the card, but they've been somewhere, particularly for a day trip, and they'll write, went for a day trip with Bill here and the date, and they've obviously kept it as a little specific dated memento. But I think, yeah, it's another function of postcards as well as sending them. Absolutely. Very good. Well, before we discover the cards that Sarah and Claire have brought along, I'll give you a quick one of mine. This is, of course, a postcard from the past card, like I do on Twitter, at Past Postcard. It's an old card from which I've taken just a part of the message. Um, and this one, well, here we are. This is uh, the Northwest Blackpool. And um, oh, look at that! Brilliant. Yeah. I, 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 what, what kind of you know what kind of blue you call that Such in the sky? Such a natural sky colour, isn't it? Blue. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but normally it's paler because normally they're daytime shots. And normally it's raining. It's Blackpool. Let's yeah. be let's be honest. Yeah. Well, anyway, these these are the trams, the illuminated trams, and that, that go up and down the front at Blackpool. And um, it says Blackpool's illuminated tram cars. And this was sent in. It's not as old as you think. It's nineteen. Oh, it's nineteen seventy-seven. It's quite a long time ago. And um, it was sent to Walsall in the West Midlands by someone called Mark. And uh, like a lot of these, what interests me, I suppose, is the fact that you feel like you are just glimpsing a bit of a story. Uh, and he says, weather is dry but cold. I have had a dog bite on my nose and had to go to the hospital. <laughs> so, Cracking. Classic. Uh, that's, that was Mark's... Um, Experience of Blackpool. I don't know if that happened at night on a tram. Possibly did. Another quick one. This is a bit older, actually. This is um, 1967. The Summer of Love. Um, I don't know if it reached Ipswich. It might have done. And uh, this is a very washed-out picture of some of the older buildings in Ipswich in the the high street. And um, it was sent to Gravenhurst in Bedfordshire by someone called Pat. And they say, June, Beryl and I went to Enid's house last night for a Tupperware party. <laughs> They've got to be aunts, haven't they? Yeah, it says... June, se- Beryl and Enid. June, Beryl. Well, old friends, I don't know. And then she said, it seems strange 
walking down the road where I used to live 12 years ago. So... That's a jumping-off point. You could write a novel off you that, could. You? Yeah. Where's, where's the crime? Yes. I don't I think, know if it's nasty enough for you. I don't know. Beryl is a good name. I, yeah. think, I, like, I think they I like. might have seen it, but no-one saw her since. There's 50p for you and if you get Tupperware. Beryl into your next book for me. You know, the Tupperware. You could hide all sorts in that. Yes, yes. Noses bitten off. Have yes. you written in the past or are your books contemporary? Um, my books um, are all contemporary at the moment. But and very, I've very, very modern, aren't they, on the whole? Um, they are. They're set in contemporary London. Um, but I have written a lot of short stories set in the past. So, oh, okay. um, so yes, I may revisit. But not as short as these. No, not as short <laughs> as those. They're like park benches, aren't they, where you get that tiny little snapshot. Oh, gosh, yes. Bert sat here. He hated it. It yes. tells you so much. <laughs> that's all you need to, and that's all we're summed up to in the end, any of us. Mm. Um, just to let you know, images of... All the cars we discussed today um, are on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can see that we're not making it up. Now, uh, Claire and Sarah, you've been both kind enough to come along with postcards. I know this for a fact. Um, Claire, let's start with you. What's the first card you'd like to share with us? Well, it's it's very precious personal bit of family history for me here. It's a postcard that was made of a photograph taken in 1916 of a group of young men who are serving in Egypt in the oh, First wow. World War, um, sent to my grandfather by one of his mates who features in that. And Do you know which one he is? Uh, yeah, I think this one is Joe. So he's sort of so tall on the left a, of the picture. Yeah, and it's sent to... My grandfather was Sapper Smith, Alfred Smith, you couldn't get a more modest name than A. Smith. Oh. I know, like it's that must make Smith, history, family history research quite difficult. Yeah, but I love that. I love that anonymity, yes. sort of feeling with it as well. It says, yes, it um, could be anyone. Yes, exactly, the everyman. 16th of July, 1916. Dear Alf, we're off to France tomorrow morning. So my address for a time will be blah blah um, signals advance base, B-E-F. What I really love about it is the next line. We've been christened the Stop the War draft, so good luck to us, eh? Joe. Stop the stop the war draft. I know it feels so like a draft would be because they've been drafted today. in because they're conscripts. That's right. And they they consider themselves to be the stop. Is it stop the war by winning so quickly or or well, yes. It's interesting. You could it's like um when someone paints a picture, as soon as it's off in the air, it's open to interpretation by everyone, isn't it? But um considering that he was a good close friend of my grandfather, who was a pacifist really, um, but who was very, you know, he served, he went in and did his duty. Um he actually, when he was in Egypt, he'd just come from Gallipoli. Oh, right. Where he was lucky to be in the, the second lot of landings, otherwise he probably wouldn't have survived. Um but yes, he, he served out there and my grandfather had been he'd worked for the post office. He was a working class man from Yorkshire. And uh, so he'd been drafted into the Royal Engineers Signals because it's about communications, yes, yes, although yes. none of those skills were transferable, but it enabled him to he do so. He looked right on the form there. Exactly. So he, he joined the cable laying division of the Royal Engineers and he went out in 1915 towards Gallipoli. And this extraordinary journey, you know, where they would have boxing matches and listen to piano on deck when it was clear, that sort of thing. And then they, they witness all the shelling and, and boats being torpedoed. Extraordinary. Um, and then he got out to Gallipoli and he served out there and he saw many of his friends killed, um, appalling conditions. Um, and his, his diaries, I've got his diaries, and they sort of swap between talking about the loss of eight men and, and two horses behind him to the fact that fruit is available or that he gets his spends his one pounds a week money on cigarettes. There's not a yes. photograph in that a fag in his mouth. Well, that's, so, the, um, that's the stuff of life for a soldier, isn't Well, it, exactly. Right? It's the prosaic and the terrible side by side. Um, but... What I really love is that he kept the things he kept. We don't have that much. We have his his cigarette case, which I've brought, tiny little cigarette case, um, <clears throat> which, of course, he was spending all his money and filling that with fags. 
um, a couple of postcards and his diaries. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, and he kept his medals, but clearly they were in a box. They hadn't been threaded onto their right, ribbons. That right. beautiful mm. victory medal yes, of the winged yes. lady and all that. Yes. Um, they'd never been worn. He'd kept them, but he'd put them away in a drawer. Whereas his photographs, like this postcard, had been framed and they're all written the names of the guys, his friends on the back, and a little hook put in so that he could put them at his workplace and look at them after the war. So the friendships so were enduring and real for him. What mattered for him in the war were the friendships, not the, the glory of war or any of that. And he always said that his greatest achievement in the First World War was to serve his country without killing anyone. Which Very kind good. of reflects the message on this postcard of yes. we are the, the stop the war draft. So somewhat somewhat reluctant but serving nonetheless. Well, he, he wasn't reluctant to play his part. He didn't see that anyone should serve and he should get away with it. You know, he was very keen to... Um, to put his life on the line in the service of his nation, but he wasn't keen to kill anyone. And in fact, in his diary, you see that in his days off, he goes off and he helps the local people, the Turkish people, to bring in the harvest or to rebuild their houses after shelling. He's a, he's an incredibly good, lovely man, um, but he didn't want to be responsible for taking the life of anyone either. No, you can understand why he didn't uh, thread those medals or wear them, I think. Yes, it's absolutely. often the case, isn't it's it? It's very the... telling what you show yes. and what you choose to hold in. And I think anyone that saw the reality of war up close probably don't see any sort of honour in that sort of the military machine, that mm. that side of it. And certainly that's been my experience, mm, my absolutely. family story. And I think a lot of people after the First World War wanted to just move on as well if they could not, um, not dwell on those side of things because exactly. they had to try and rebuild their lives. Yeah, my grandfather, Alf, never really spoke with his children, my mother or the family, about his wartime experiences very much. But neither did he destroy that diary. He always kept it safely. So there was always a part of him, just one he chose not to display too much. Very good. Oh, well, thank you for bringing that in. And it's such a characterful picture as well. It's even, even the quality of the light on the bivouacs is... Yes, uh, it's marvellous. There's another feeling. one with him with holding a bottle of beer and a chicken, which I quite <laughs> like. That's been quite a treat day, hence the photograph, I think. There's... Um, it's something I, I mean. I look at quite a lot of First World War postcards. I'm not. It's not a sort of area I'm expert in. But these real photographic ones, where they're you know actual photographs that mm. have been printed up as postcards, they're quite often slightly ridiculous in that you've got a group of young men having someone point a camera at them and yeah. the first thing they do is misbehave slightly. Mm. Yes. Well, most of them, you know, a lot of them were very young as well and they they weren't used to having their photograph taken. They'd had a formal portrait taken perhaps, but these ones they clubbed together and made into postcards. They're all, you know... Yeah, and you're off. probably right. To, to make it, <clears throat> to pay for it, they, they clubbed together. You're absolutely right because it was sort of come on a big sheet That's with right. 30 or 40 and yes. they slice them down and that would be a way to Take make it pay. Each. Very good. Oh, thank you very much for that, Claire. Now, I think we're staying with military family history. Yes, indeed. So what have you got, Sarah? So um, from the First World War to the, the Second World War... Um, it's like we planned it. It is, mm. isn't it? Um, I've got a series of postcards that my grandfather, my mother's father, um, sent from um, uh, Batu Lintang prison camp in Kuching in um, North Borneo, what was then British North Borneo, um, where he was a civilian internee of the Japanese, along with my grandmother at the age of 25 and their young daughter, my mother, who was three when they were interned by the Japanese and six when they were liberated by the Australians. Um, and it's, um, 
it's it's a little brown you know piece of it basically it's it's like a piece of brown wrapping paper that you you know you you wrap up your you cover your textbooks in in it's school the cheapest paper, isn't it, it is and the fact that it's survived so beautifully it's written in pencil um and stamped passed by the the japanese as being fit to be delivered um to chippenham which is where my grandfather's father lived and on the back it says imperial japanese army printed across the top and then it says i am interned in and the it, these are the standard pieces of text and my grandfather's added to them um his own details so he said he's in a camp in kuching in sarawak um then the options to it says my health is excellent comma usual comma poor and he's and those are the options you had those were the options you had and he's crossed out um so the his, it says my health is excellent um i am working for pay he's crossed that out i am not working he's crossed that out um, uh, and then it says, please see that, and they've left a space, is taken care of. And he's written in insurance, etc., which is quite chilling, really, when you think about it. And then my love to you, and then there's a space, and he's filled in, and all family. Um, and he wrote that in March 1943, but his father has written on it in fountain pen, the date that it was received back in Chippenham in England, which was 18 months later in December 1944, which is sadly only about three months before um, his son, my grandfather, um, died in Jesselton Jail um, in the in the prison camp. So it was a, a note that was sent probably under slight duress, but clearly with the intention of reassuring his loved ones that, that he was fine um, and not seen until, you know, very near to the time that he unbeknownst to most people, died. I mean, it wasn't mm. for a long time. So that information would have come out even later still. And even later, yes. Um, and in fact, the you know, the, talking about um, how, uh, uh, you know, postcards tell stories and, and letters and artefacts tell stories, um, I find that this is the story of the prison camp in my, in my family history is definitely one of the main reasons why I became a, a writer, I, I feel. Because oh, really? my... Um, my grandmother, who obviously she was a young mother in the camp, she, you know, she had to keep her child alive. Um, they both nearly died several times in the camp, specifically of pneumonia towards the end. Um, and um, she was discouraged. It's interesting what we were saying about people talking about their wartime experiences. When they were returning from the Far East, the prisoners of the war that ended, of course, a lot later than it did in Europe, um, were all interviewed by civil servants as they were coming home and, and instructed not to talk about their war really? when they return, when they got back to this country. They were told... What, what no, were they hoping to gain by that? Well, because we were in post-war Britain and we were it was morale building and nobody wanted to hear about you know the depressing experiences of of prisoners of war they want we were meant to be going towards the festival of Britain we were you know the blitz was a a memory that people were trying to exactly. overcome exactly I so it's necessary but yeah, it's, it's absolutely brutal, isn't it? it is brutal isn't it so my grandmother didn't speak about it with her daughter my mother because she was grateful for the idea that my mother remembered very little from the camp because it was a comfort to her that she didn't although they were incredibly close um, but it, when we were all children, me and my siblings, um, our grandmother used to tell us about the prison camp. But she obviously didn't sit a bunch of children down and go, let me tell you about the time I was a prisoner of the Japanese. What she did was she told us this incredible story when we were very little about how our mother learnt to write with a stick in the sand and didn't wear a pair of shoes till she was six years old and never tasted bread and butter until she was seven years old. And then gradually over the years, she would add a layer more of reality into it. And I think... 
what that taught me about, you know, how a story has so many entry points and so many connection points you can tell. And you, it was entirely possible to tell an uplifting, happy story about the prison camp. And like you were saying, with the, you know, playing in the band on the ship, mm. they, they, they held pantomimes at Christmas. The nuns in the camp made presents for the children. Um, so there were joyous moments. Um, and you find a way to you keep, do. To keep Absolutely. That's and... how you kept, you know. And the, well, it's still your life, isn't it? Exactly. It's, you know, it's, the life is going on, even if, if you're you in have those... children. Exactly. You. Exactly so. So, um, so yes, it did teach me a great deal about storytelling and about truths and um, how you open doors in stories for your readers. But there's got to be a book in there. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Conversation later. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Absolutely. And you've actually got a, a few of these cards. I think, yes, I have a, a series of them. But... So um, later they were there was some some free text um, postcards. So um, uh, here's an example of one. Uh, Dear father, I'm quite well, fit and well. Also family when last seen. Um, hope to hear from you soon. Hope you are all well. Love to everybody. Um, Few words can convey so much. I love the fact he bothered to put in the word "quite." I know, I'm quite fit and well. Yes, mm. yes. And but then, that means very, doesn't it? It does. And because uh, here's a later one: "Dear father, am still very well. Also, Babs, his wife, and Susan, his daughter, when last seen." Mm. Um, That's yes. a, that dangles. Doesn't yes, it, it does. Seen. And you know, they didn't see one another very often at all. In fact, they were brought together by the Japanese. Um, uh, propaganda machine um, because they were picked as being a very attractive family and they were photographed oh. and this photograph that exists is, is a your, tremendous your book lie. Gets better actually. Yeah, so they're photographed together but of course they're engendered. Of course, in, yeah, put into clothes that they weren't their own that were taken off them afterwards. My grandmother was given makeup so which was, was then washed off her face afterwards, yes. Goodness and they me. printed millions of them and put them up all over the cities and, and villages in, in Japan. The, the, the yeah, news, well yeah, to, 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 you know, because it was dishonourable to treat your yes, prisoners yes. badly. But their image then became yes. famous. Yes, yes. It's Gosh. an extraordinary picture because they too, they're, they're very beautiful, my grandmother, my grandparents, and they're gazing into each other's eyes and there's my mother sitting in the middle, aged about four, staring right out at the camera and the truth is absolutely in her face. You can see, suddenly you know there's something wrong with the picture when you see her eyes. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Astonishing. Gosh, well, I, I'm, I'm not surprised, actually, because of the intensity of both of what you do for a living, that you brought such good family uh, cards. It's very, very interesting. Um, from the serious and the touching to the faintly ridiculous... Um, another card from me from uh, the past postcards. I love these cards. So we can only we can only leaven leaven the atmosphere. But this is a card of um, actually you'll recognise this, Sarah. It's Liverpool. It's it is I, Liverpool. I believe it is. It is yes. Liverpool indeed. No, yeah, you no, were no. quite right. Big expanse of water. Yeah, life are building behind. Yeah, exactly. Slightly more believable blue sky. Actually, yeah, but I I would (laughs) still say it's pretty touched up. (laughs) You've probably seen that. That sky is probably featured on hundreds of cars. This is from 1977, um, and it was sent to the Isle of Man from from Robert and Linda. Uh, Now, what did I find interesting about this one? Um, It's from one of my favourite publishers, actually, Colour Master, and it said uh, arrived at my sister's to find they had written the car off in an accident. <laughs> cut by glass, mainly. Makeup covered the cuts for the wedding day, but everyone was shook up. Wow. wow. It's, <laughs> all, it's all there. It's it. all there, isn't it? We love that it. Terrific. Short story in four, four who, words. Yeah. Who sabotaged the car? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Was, it a, was it someone that was disgruntled about the wedding. There's a story there. Oh, well, a typical crime writer. You see, it's not, not, <laughs> yes. not, not an accident, but a no, sabotage. Oh, no, definitely. <laughs> there you go. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. And my guests today are historical biographer Claire Mully and crime writer Sarah Hillary. Now... Claire, what's the second card you've got for us today? It's another family one, I think. It is, yes. I mean, um, it's a very silly one. It's from my father. And I've actually got my first ever postcard from him and the last letter he he wrote me. Gosh. Um, He died about four or five years ago. Um, He's such a lovely guy, very gentle. He was a chemist. Anyhow, so it's very silly. My little postcard from the 70s, I'm obviously on Brownie Camp, and uh, (laughs) he says, My dear Claire, I'm told you are in Disneyland. Wouldn't, spelt like wood, (laughs) wouldn't it be nice to see Pinocchio? He's a chip off the old block. (laughs) So so total 1970s dad, but his little, you know, terrible word puns, which, which, you know, love daddy, sum him up. But um, but I, I... thought it might be nice to just sort of mention my last letter I ever got from him as well. Absolutely. Um, when Because he was a chemist and he absolutely adored chemistry, as you will see, um, I had sent him this book that I'd found from, I think it was 1900, The Story of the Wandering Atoms. Ooh, Dad was always it? very disappointed that my brother, my sister and I, none of us showed any interest in chemistry oh, at I all. See. He spent <laughs> ages on our, our plastic breakfast table cloth, you know, describing fungi, <laughs> fungi form rings and things to us, trying to get us hooked. But anyhow. You wasted your time with history. <laughs> yes, exactly. He says, my dear Claire, you see, this is both, you see, it's history and chemistry in one book, hence the sending it to him. My dear Claire, I have been pleasurably occupying myself reading the story of the wandering atoms. Its romantic title chimes in with my own feelings when I first decided to be a chemist. There was a desire to make attractive coloured crystals and liquids. This I obtained in my PhD by making complex amines, brackets, remember aniline dyes made by Perkin. Well, obviously not. Of course, I don't remember any of that. Did you forget such a thing? He talks about the book and then he ends. I first began to study chemistry in the early 1940s, and this is much closer to the publishing date of this little book, 1900, than today is to the 1940s. Oh, gosh, yes. It makes me quite antediluvian. <laughs> I cover the discovery of short-lived free radicals, contact with people who achieved the first self-sustaining nuclear reaction in Chicago University's swimming pool, the first man who attempted to make life fragments from natural sources, right up to the manufacture of polyethylenes, especially polypropylene. Love, Dad. 
Oh, wow. Like, just, <laughs> you couldn't fit that on a postcard. It's so, um, well, I think you could. It's so... It's it's. I, th- I think sometimes postcards tell you a lot in what they don't say. The oh, messages, yes. what they it's say, what they true. choose to leave Absolutely. out. Yes. So he doesn't bother with the fripperies about it. This is his heart speaking to my heart. His love of chemistry, his passion for that, trying to engage with a little bit of my love of history. And th- and then there's no bothering about how are you and any of that no. boring no. stuff. No, no, just no. love dad. Well, that's <laughs> nice. I mean, I always say that the fact that you've written to someone, that in itself says you care enough to do that. So that bit's taken care of, really. You know, and then you can get down to the meat of it. Absolutely. If you know someone well enough, you, you can sit in silence and enjoy that. And this is his his sort of immediacy of contact, which I loved. And when you're researching your books, do, do you... You must come across correspondence. Do you come across postcards or is it more letters? And It must be a great way of finding out detail and emotion. I mean, the written word is so important. And like you say, I mean, letters and postcards, they're, they're no good for facts, really. I mean, two people mm. present a completely different picture of the same incident, but they are fantastic for emotion. I always think of letters as being the, the fossils of emotion. You know, they, they kind of that last residue of that intangible thing that disappears in time otherwise. Um, and so they're incredibly useful for, for me when I'm doing my research. Now, I'm a very nosy person, got a perfect job because it enables me to pe- read people's diaries and letters. I don't collect them. <clears throat> I'm not a, a collector, but I do I do collect the, the contents yeah, of them. Yeah, you mine them. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, And I found extra- so many extraordinary letters um, and little notes on small bits of squared paper that were written. Um, Christina Scarbeck, I found, when I first started researching her, there were only three known letters in her hand. Really? Um, and now we've got about 12 or, or 13, depending if you count this little scrappy one. And is this because you've been digging through the archives? Because I've been them? digging in there, yeah. And... Um, and one of them was just uh, written on squared notepaper. And we don't know, I've asked all the experts, we don't know if this is sort of coding paper that the special agents use or French school child's yes. maths paper. I mean, yeah, it's or maybe both. Paper. <laughs> Could have been. Yes. And, um, and she, she's managed to uh, get up into the Alps and she one of her achievements, one of her many achievements, she made the first contact between the French resistance and the Italian partisans on the other side of the Alps. And uh, she heard the sounds of a gun battle and she kind of managed to manoeuvre around so she came from the correct direction. And... Uh, in fact, had to. She was nearly captured, but unpinned some um, hand grenades and held them. Said, in fact, "Unless you back off, I'm going to let these go." And managed to then get the pins back in and carried on, and uh, and made contact with the leader of the Italian partisans. And she noted on this scrap of paper that I found um, their need for ammunition, shoes, and packed meat, which is what she relayed back to the French to provide that first contact and what they needed for support. So little things like that. It's speak, the details. You know, it's wonderful. But I mean, her letters are extraordinary as well. I mean, Why? What about Incredible bravery. Well, it's that thing, isn't it, about letters? They they tell you the content, but they also tell you the character of the person. Yeah. So I've got one well, what here. What language is she writing? Was she writing in Polish? Well, she, she was Polish-born, but she spoke perfect French and very good English. Right. Although not completely perfect English. So this is a letter she... A little bit from a letter she wrote in March 1945, so right at the end of the war. She, she wasn't just Britain's first female special agent or the first woman to serve Britain as a female special agent. She was also the longest-serving agent, male or female, in the war. Wow. She served in three different theatres, extraordinarily. And right at the end of the war, she's desperate to go back into service. Um, she writes... Uh, for God's sake, do not strike my name from the firm, which is what insiders called SOE. Mm. Mm. Remember that I'm always too pleased to go and do anything for it. Maybe you find out I could be useful getting people out of camps and prisons in Germany just before they get shot. 
I should love to do it. And I like to jump out of the plane even every day. <laughs> I was told off for giggling in the National Archives oh. when I picked up that one. Um, but she's in absolute earnest. Um, but this letter is also interesting because it contains a number of little personal sort of things as well. So she writes to Perks Kahani. Um, I don't know if you speak Polish, but it's sort of um, Kahani is my dearest, my darling Perks and... and the book is called The Spy Who Loved because she was a very mm. passionate woman. I mm. mean, she loved adventure and adrenaline. She loved men. She had numerous lovers, two husbands. Um, Perks possibly included in that, or Harold Perkins, as we should properly call him. <laughs> um, but above all, she loved freedom, freedom for her country, Poland, for the Allies, and also freedom for herself personally. So she was fairly uh, ahead of her times in many ways. But she also suffered from an awful lot of sexism. People weren't mm. expecting women. I mean, mm. she was the first woman and, and only taken on because they desperately needed her unique services. Um, but here, even in this last letter, after six years of putting her life on the line to serve Britain, she feels compelled to write the caveat... Uh, apologies for my bad English. Remember to tell them I'm an honest and decent Polish girl. <laughs> you know, she she would get the George Cross, she would get the OBE, she the French gave her the Quad de Go with one star, and yet she feels compelled to always be making the case at that mm. low level as well. Yeah. Extraordinary stuff. Very interesting. Yes. Yeah, and it must it must feel strange when you first come across those letters. Do you feel I mean you feel like you're hearing their voice? Oh, very much so. You know, her, her Polish accent, and apparently she used her voice very much, so she would play on that accent when she wanted to seduce a man or oh, whatever. Really? Um, like playing but, up to being the kind yeah, of exotic spy. Yeah, but a lot of the time, it, it's almost, she writes very prosaic because she she isn't using flowery language because she doesn't have that in her in her bag. But but also that kind of reflects how she would play up and play down. I mean, the, the greatest skill of the women's special agents, it's not, it's not being the honey trap or the femme fatale. That's how we, mm. we always seem to imagine in female special agents or women in the resistance in these romantic terms as above all beautiful mm. but actually their greatest skill often was the fact that they're seen as anonymous they're not yes. they're not seen right. they're disregarded yes. that women could travel around Nazi occupied Germany um, and that weren't automatically suspect and uh, going to be checked so Christina was traveling around in fact once she's on the back of a motorbike uh, with a young man driving into what would become the Battle of Vecor, um in southwest France and she has got a backpack on her back and they get stopped and the man is checked fully and she just sits there twiddling with some grass, chewing on a bit of straw, you know, <laughs> and they don't bother with her. Um, and she under, in her rucksack, she's got some cheese sandwiches and under that she has these hand grenades. But but she's not seen as worthy for them. an examination. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very good. amazing. And we're going to see it on the big screen, I'm sure. It's got to come. Oh, well, I do hope so, yes. Well, Angelina Jolie has said she's interested. Oh, uh, it's currently optioned to Universal, but we shall see. Yeah, oh, it's a long see. journey, isn't it? But, yes, but, many a slip. It should oh, yeah, be there. It idea. should be there. I'm, I'm, I'm queuing up for the premiere. It's going to be great. Good, good. <laughs> uh, now, Sarah, what's your final card you've got for us today? So I've brought a card, um, uh, some of which I can't, well, most of which I can't decipher um, because it's, it's written... Today we're not getting silly cards of we're cats not getting, or anything. Those are really no. good historical cards. No, now this card doesn't... It has a picture of a very beautiful Edwardian uh, mother and her... Her daughter, um, but it's not um the, the the pictures are not of of my grandmother and it's her just grandmother. Just but it was symbolic. Yes, it was sent from my great great grandmother to my grandmother. So um, what date are we talking? Um, it's very specific. May the seventh, nineteen nineteen. Okay. So my grandmother at this time wasn't quite four years old. She will be four years old in August 1919. Um, but um, no, three years old. I tell her why. She's three years old in 1919. So and it's addressed to um, Miss Florence Adams, which was my grandmother's name. Um, Waverley Mansions um, in Calcutta in India, which is where my grandmother grew up. 
Um, and it's a massacre time then, May um, 1919. Yes, very near. I mean, they um, they were my grand... So my uh, grandmother's uh, father was um, worked for the railways, um, as a lot of, of course, a lot of British people did. Um, but so her grandmother is back home in... Um, uh, I'm, uh, again, I can't quite read where she is, but it's somewhere in the southwest. Um, uh, but I love the opening of this postcard. This is why I brought it along. So it begins, My darling little Florrie, and then in inverted commas, Grandma's little queen, oh. which I think is lovely. And then it, obviously you're writing to a three-year-old, so it's just basically hoping that Mummy and Daddy are well and that um, can't wait to see her again um, and all of those good things. And, you know, we, um, uh, with very much love, um, your loving Grandma at the end. Um, but, yes, yeah, so my... Um, my grandmother um, grew up in, in India and then she came back to England to um, finish her education, as a lot of, of course, um, uh, uh, young people of that generation did. And it was when she was travelling back out to her family in India after she had um, uh, finished her education that she met my grandfather on a, a ship. Um, he was going out... Stuck to... on a ship together. Yes, he was He was heading out um, to take up his post as the aide-de-camp to the um, governor of British, what was then British North Borneo. Oh, good prospect. Um, from, from, yes, from uh, St Peter's College in Oxford. And um, my grandmother was playing cards. My grandmother was quite a bit younger than him, so I suppose she must have been at this at this time around about 19, 20. She was on the lower deck of the of the ship playing cards with, with her friends and her family. And my grandfather was on a higher deck on the ship <laughs> and he looked down and watch he saw she was cheating at cards <laughs> and that was when he fell in love with her so the oh, story really? goes That's yes nice. yes so they um <laughs> so they were married in uh, back in you know they were married in the UK but then they went back out to take up his post and uh, lived in Sandakan um and um that's when my mother was born and christened and they didn't quite get out in time so um, I was going to say there's a connection between your two postcards exactly, you got uh, Borneo and exactly didn't you say Sarawak so. in the well, other that's yeah. that's exactly so so uh, my grandfather was in the you know he was uh, you know a civil servant effectively um, and uh, my grandmother lived a strange, the strange life of a colonial wife. I suppose not that different from the life of a colonial young lady um, in India, um, but very different with the um, uh, sort of um, with the war coming. Of course, it was a you know a very different environment. Whereas I think in Calcutta in 1919 it had its own problems, but it wasn't about to. So been out there. Isn't Matahari out there at that point? Yeah, is she? In or, yes. or is she? Maybe she's just yes. come back to to France. Just, but she'd been. Oh, right. She's she been her out there. Dutch husband. Of yes. Course. Yes. Um, but um, but no. One of the things I loved about the um, it's like you were saying about um, diaries and letters having you know. Um, the history of the lives and the emotions as well. I found a series of, when I was researching this part of my family's history, I found a series of um, fascinating accounts of what happened in the prison camp. Um, and there was, um, there were, um, a lot of them are in the um, Imperial War Museum, as you might expect. Yeah. And there was one that was kept by a gentleman in the military, who was a captain, and he was basically a record of the uh, the way they were treated. And I imagine it was deliberately kept in the event of a war war crimes and a trial after the after the war so he was recording things such as they'd been promised bananas um, and no bananas were delivered um, or they were given half a banana when they'd been promised it was very very specific and also 
you know, um, various other ways in which the Japanese might have made promises and then not kept them or, or behaved in, in, a, in a way that he felt. Mm. And it's, they're very angry diaries. There's nothing personal in them, but the, the, but the anger in them is quite yes. extraordinary, um, just from the listing of things that they were promised and, and not. And then there's a diary by a young missionary who is um, also imprisoned, um, but his he tries very hard in his diaries to take the view that, you know, um, to see the good in everyone, even in their right. Japanese guards, which is quite interesting. But my favourite diary of all is one by... Um, nurse Hilda Bates, um, and she partly because she mentions my my grandmother and my mother, um, and, very, and the children in the camp. So that you uh, you were talking about women's stories that aren't necessarily very well known, and the women in the camp, although. There was the Tenko TV series. Course, I mean, yes. it's you know, the children in the camp haven't had really had their story told because there were virtually no children in that. I, I think deliberately conscious choice by the um, the makers of Tenko. But um, so she's recorded this wonderful diary. It's got things in it like um, you know, last the last part of my towel disintegrated this morning and had to shake myself dry like a dog. <laughs> um, and you know, there's it packed into that is obviously a huge story of hardship. You know, but um, she's managed to condense it into this beautifully human, almost joyful spirit, of her. spirit absolutely. But um, and then a couple of just very spooky things that happened. So um, my um, a friend of mine was writing all the way through the war. And the, don't forget, people who wrote diaries or letters in the prison camp, they were risking punishment by death. Mm-hmm. But they felt so compelled to write these diaries. You can understand why the military might have felt compelled to write an account of how they were being treated. But for somebody like Nurse Hilda Bates to keep a diary under pain of severe punishment, if not death, is quite extraordinary. She felt compelled to write these diaries. Um, And a friend of mine's uh, was right, sister was writing letters home all the time to her sister in England, um, only to discover when they finally reached home that she died in in the Blitz, mm-hmm. um, not knowing. And then a series of letters had been photocopied and faxed to me by a friend of mine. Um, and I went to look at them the other day when I was digging out these postcards from the camp, and they had all they, they completely. The, the, the ink on them has completely vanished. Oh, no. So I've got a series of facts. Lost letters. I yes. think it's fascinating. We have extraordinary. I've had all sorts of. Yes, really spooky. The ghosts of letters. Just I could see the indents. Oh, no. You could probably put could, them under could, something. Yes, yes, I'm sure there's, yes. Yeah, with your that, um, forensic yes, experience, yes, yeah. the crime yeah. connections. Yes, next time you're researching for, a, yes. for the crime story. Slip One more thing. Well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But I love that. I had a. Um, I've been looking into. I'm writing a proposal for a possible new book now, which mm. I can't say too much about. But um, it's. There's a family story in the Second World War and I was with the family, fantastically, mm. and they got all these yellow stars, all sorts of things you can mm. see um, and, and some letters and diaries and things. And then they said, where are the where are the 200 letters, that collection? We don't know. So everyone's looking, aunts and uncles, and they're, they're just missing. And, and then it turned out that this is from a gentleman who died two years ago and a German historian had been in touch with him and they'd obviously made a good relationship, a relationship of trust, and he'd sent these letters over. Oh, good. So I was like, oh, great, fantastic. So I managed to trace her. Now, slightly, you know, some trepidation because I thought, oh, we're writing the same story from... Mm. But, you know, we'll see mm, how yes, this goes. Yes, it's early days, yeah. so, you know, fine. So I, I got in touch with her. Well, I tried to. Only discovered that she was elderly and very sadly she died six months before I reached her. But the letter came back where I managed to get in touch with her sister. and um, But that took some time to track her down. And eventually I got in touch with her sister and I said, look, I'm so sorry, forgive me. It's now sort of nine months after her sister. I said, do you know what happened to any of these documents? Mm. It means so much to the family. And she said, you know, because there's a sort of famous person connection here, she said she looked for an archive to donate them to. But nobody was interested. She didn't know what to do with mm. them. She didn't have contacts for any family or anything. So she said, 
if you had got in touch with me a week earlier, I oh, would have no. given them to you. No. But I've just cleared out my sister's flat to rent it, and they're all bagged up on the street for recycling. <gasps> so um, a friend of mine who lives in Berlin, I said, can you just go? <laughs> so he took a plane, he had to go into Switzerland, and then he had to get a train to back the into the other end of Germany. He got to the street as the recycling van was coming along, and he swagged the bag. I got it. That's but I, have, I don't know what's in it yet. I'm yet to find oh, out what yeah. we've got. But he's got the bag, so um, Hermes got the right bag. So you've, got, you've got the prologue for the book. <laughs> yes, exactly. yes. Here's how we got there. Fantastic. Oh, wow. but, but sometimes we, you know, I'm, there's another story about losing letters. There's one that I particularly like about um, in my last book, The Women Who Flew for Hitler. There were there were only two te- female test pilots because obviously it was seen as a very masculine field of flight, um, but these women were exceptionally talented and they were needed. Um, and one of them is better known, Hannah Wright, who was a fanatical Nazi, as her later letters I found that she sent, including postcards to a private archive, um, well to a friend in England. They're now with someone a private archive, um, really revealed. Because in letters you're quite candid. If you think they're private letters, they're not going to come out. And they're not an no. interrogation report or something. So she writes, you know, she's deeply anti-Semitic and a Holocaust denial to the end horrendous talks about people's racial burden and it's just awful Mm -hmm. stuff but very telling Um, but there is another letter that she touched which hasn't made the historical record because she was one of the last people to leave Hitler's bunker in April 1945 and she was entrusted she had last last orders from the Fuhrer and she was given Joseph and Magda Goebbels last ever letters which she carried out to safety which are now on record Mm. um, just before they killed themselves and Eva Braun gave her her last ever letter, which ostensibly was written to her sister, mm. but in fact was written for, you know, for the Nazi yes, history record. She was writing for yeah. posterity, right. Eva Braun. But Hannah didn't like Eva. She thought she was a, a flighty, flippity gibbet who changed her clothes <laughs> too much and was slightly embarrassing <laughs> and difficult. So she read this letter. She later said it was so vulgar and so theatrical. She thought she didn't think this should be in the great annals of Nazi history. So she tore it up and threw it out the window. So it went off into space. So we don't have that one. But wow. it's really? a lovely... She kind of remembered... Eva had written about how perfect her life was with the Führer and to decide to die beside him would, you know, complete her happiness sort of thing. But Hannah just thought that was rather yeah. shameful. So yeah. she, um, Too she's tacky for the Nazis. Yeah, so saved us from that. So, yeah. so sometimes lost letters oh. are also telling a story. Yes, yes, yeah. yes absolutely. absolutely. Especially if you, know, if you know they exist. That's unusual, mm. though, really. Yes. Mm. Normally the loss is just... A blank, isn't yes. it? Yes, exactly. Yes. But although sometimes you can tell in a record clearly things haven't been stated or yes. certain dates are missing, yes. and that mm. will mm. give you an idea of something was happening. And yes. often I see, I see postcard correspondences, and of course they're one sided. Yes, they're yeah, you don't get the returns. Of course. In fact, they're all coming in, they're all incoming. Mm. So they're, they're all addressed to the same person, but they're from multiple pans. Yes. Which yes. is a straight, it's very hard to really get much coherence or meaning from that until you get both sides of it. Mm, of course. Well, 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 thank you very much, both of you, for sharing these really interesting uh, cards and taking us back through the 20th century, actually. Um, I'm thrilled that you share them with us and, and for the listeners at home. I'm sure they enjoyed them too. All these cards uh, will be uh, available to look at on the website, um, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, including one last one in the past postcard style from me, um, which you'll probably have seen on Twitter or in the book. And this is a card, uh, Harbour View, from 19... 19- let me see. 1976. The 70s are rich, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I tend to get ones from the 70s, I suppose, because that was the height of the yes. of the modern yes. postcard sending. It was the, the Silver Age, if yes. you like. Um, it's Linmouth in Devon, a very typical holiday place people go to. And it's from someone called Mona, I think, sent to Southend on Essex, in Essex. Um, no, Una, Una, as in Una Stubbs. But I don't think it's from her. And it says, I've discovered... 
that my son-in-law has similar tastes to mine. Beer in pubs with fruit machines. Oh. <laughs> so I think the wedding is going to be fine. Yeah, yes. the family, the family will survive. Yes, that's a definitely. good family. Yeah, yes. the, the same, the same interests across the generations. <laughs> Excellent. Right, before we let uh, Claire and Sarah back to their writing desks, I've got one more postcard for you both. It's customary for us to end the program on one of these. Um, I don't know if you've seen one of these before. Oh, how, oh, can you play Beautiful. it? Beautiful. Is it a record? I think you might oh, be correct. Extraordinary. Yes. Look at oh. that. Because, because you have, I've it's got two writers here. Could you describe the image, Could you please? Describe? It's, it's a test. It's a beautiful little <laughs> Labrador dog with a hole through the centre of his face. Um, it's with a horrendous a, pink puppy with a, a plastic donut toy. He's not pink, and, and admittedly. The background is pink. Um, and he's got rubber. he's got a rubber ring and a rubber bone. And I don't know, an upturned woven basket, which mm. looks as if it We're might be 70s. where he's going to be going back into after he's sung his song of happy birthday or barked it, maybe. Well, um, we, Charlie's been helping us out in the other room. Perhaps she could um, see if we can make this play. Oh, wouldn't that be superb? Oh, yes. Crackle. Beautiful crackle. Oh. Here we go. Not bad for a dog. It's very, that dog has got some talent. I thought it was going to be how much is that dog in the window. This uh, is better. No, you should know by now. There's very little connection between one side and the other yes. side oh, of the postcard. Right, right. It's never the same. Yes. Oh. Suffered Ooh, a bit over the years, I was going to say, it's not been through the post, though, has no. it? Otherwise, it would be completely Must unplayable. Must have been sent in a post, in an envelope. Maybe. Yes, definitely. Or bought and never sent. Yes. I like it. We see, we wouldn't do that anymore, would we? We'd just have a barcode that you'd scan and take yeah. to everything. It's just And you'd never same. bother. You'd no, never bother, right? No, same. Well, as the Labrador puppy spins round at 45 RPM, that's it for this time on Podcast from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Claire Mully and Sarah Hillary. Thank you both. Thank, thank you. It's, it's been, been a pleasure. Great. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. You can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me, at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book, Postcard from the Past, by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.